0: Welcome to Practical Christian Living.
1: Not understanding the Great Commission or not even knowing that it exists. I don't know if that is so much of a churchgoer problem as it is a church problem, right? That churches just aren't telling people about our Great Commission. But it's what we're supposed to be doing. How could we not be communicating that? And I think maybe because churches in America and the largest churches in America are certainly this way, there's a lot of meism going on.
0: As Christians, we have the responsibility of going out into all the world and spreading the life-saving message of the gospel. For some, that may mean venturing halfway across the globe. For others, it means we show kindness in walking next door to our neighbor and lending a helping hand in Jesus' name. With more on how we go and carry out the Great Commission, here's Robert Furrow with Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20.
1: Father, we want to thank you that we are able to worship you and put things in perspective and know that you are the God over all things and there is nothing that is too much for you and there's nothing that surprises you even though we might be surprised, nothing surprises you. And so we pray now that your Holy Spirit would fill us, that you'd strengthen us, cause our inner man to grow, cause us to evaluate ourselves honestly before you. Lord, we want to, uh, we want to know what you want from us And we want to give you sincerity. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can open up your Bibles with me to Matthew 28. We're going to be covering verses 16 through 20 today in the last of our Jesus appointment series. Uh, We began them in the the beginning uh, when we actually had had the lockdown and we were coming back together and we were having all the kids in here and we didn't have any Sunday school going on. And I thought it would be good for us to go through the encounters that Jesus had with people so that kids could be a little bit more engaged. All right, so um, with your Bibles open to Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, we want to thank you for the time that we are able to study here today. We thank you for your word. We pray now that your Holy Spirit would work within us as we take time to study your word. Help us to know exactly what you want from us. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Today, we are going to break down what is called the Great Commission and our part in it. Jesus met with his disciples to give for the last time and gave them their marching orders in our text, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. There was a Barna research study done in 2018 let me get this right. So, this was Barnard Research Study, 2018, that the majority of churchgoers were not even aware of the Great Commission. And I think for a moment, let's just let that sink in. They were not even aware that Jesus had given us a clear definition as to what the church is supposed to be. 20 years ago or so, there were a couple of books that came out that were church growth books. And I've 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 tried to stay away from church growth books my whole life. I don't want to read them because I just want God to be really be working. But the idea in these church growth books is your church has to be able to be identified from other churches. So you have to find something that people will say about your church. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, this this new church in town, their emphasis is really love or their emphasis is really faith or their emphasis is really, you know, feeding the poor or feeding the hungry. The idea was find a reason why you're distinct so that when people come to your church, they know, well, this is different than what other churches are that are out there. I think that's a mistake. I think that we should find what our definition is as a church from Jesus. And I don't have a problem that what we are doing is the same thing that a church down the street is doing because it would mean that we're doing what Jesus wants us to do. And we're gonna be an individual church anyway because we're individuals. Things are gonna be different because we do things differently We don't need to go and find out, make something that will really help people to understand. Not understanding the Great Commission or not even knowing that it exists. I don't know if that is so much of a churchgoer problem as it is a church problem, right? That churches just aren't telling people about our Great Commission. But it's what we're supposed to be doing. How could we not be communicating that? And I think maybe because churches in America and the largest churches in America are certainly this way. There's a lot of meism going on. It's every sermon is crafted for the application to be about the person and what they need. Jesus is taught as a self-help kind of a of a Jesus. Invite Jesus into your life, and your life will be better than it's ever been before. And you're just gonna your life's gonna be happy and blessed. And it's just that's the kind of thing that's taught. And I don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. A relationship with Christ isn't really personal. And I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't care about everything that you're going through. In fact, Jesus said, let me give you just three little things he said. One of them was, come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He said, anybody that drinks of this water will thirst again, but if you drink of the water that I give you, will never thirst again. In another place, he said, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. That's all very personal but also understanding that he works in our lives and he makes things better, but then he also calls us to sacrifice, calls us to be like soldiers that aren't entangled in the world, calls us to be like athletes that train and that that say, you know what, good athletes will say, I'm not gonna do what other people do in, in the world. I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna work hard. I'm gonna eat right. I'm gonna be disciplined because I wanna win a crown. The Bible tells us that that crown is perishing, but you and I have a crown that lasts forever. And so there's a call of sacrifice. Pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. And I think that a lot of churches don't want to teach that. They want to teach the Jesus will make your life better. And and sometimes after church services, when I'm talking with people, somebody will come up to me and they'll say something like, you know, my life is just so miserable. It's just awful. And I'll start to talk to them a little bit, trying to encourage them. And they won't take any encouragement. No, I've tried that. I've tried that. And I just don't know what to do. My life is so bad. And and finally, I'll try to come back to, well, your life is not about you being happy. My mom used to say to me, Robert, I just want you happy. I I don't think God's saying to us as his children, I just want you happy. What what he's saying to us is, I want you doing the work of the gospel. I, I want you being used by me in days that are slipping away. Paul did this in the end of his letters. When he would get to the end of his epistles, he would say, the days are short. Therefore, be vigilant in what God has called you to do. It was a constant encouragement that it's not just about our life getting better. It's about our lives getting better, us becoming the light of the world so that we can see people come to Christ so that there can be more people who are the light of the world. I think sometimes we get so introspective. We're just thinking about ourselves. It's always about ourselves and not what God's called us to do and what we're going to give out. It's so introspective to the point of paralysis. We're just frozen because my life isn't what it should be. My life isn't. And God's like, it's not about that. And I think that when people go through real suffering and when people have to face limitations in their lives, that there's a depth that comes with that. That, you know what, This, this life right now is not about me. This is about God. And it's about what God wants me to do. And so when Jesus gives the Great Commission, he doesn't say, you know, I've been given all authority and I want you guys to go out and show people that their lives are meant to be happy. It's nothing even near that. Instead, he gives them some direction. And I want to go over that. But before we get there, I just kind of want to go over three different verses where Jesus kind of gave the commission at the end when he was encouraging his disciples when he was going to be gone. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This is in in Mark 16. And I love that concept because it's like, who needs to hear the gospel? Every creature. The word for creature there means animal. Go and preach the gospel to every creature. You want to take the Bible literally? When's the last time you preached the gospel to your dog or to your cat or, or whatever? See, I think that God just wanted, that Jesus just wanted to be so inclusive to let us know the gospel needs to be preached to everyone. Then he says, and whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And I love that kind of broad concept again. It's like whoever, God desires that all would be saved and all would come to the knowledge of the truth. And if God desires that and has told us that on several points, then we ought to desire that. That all would be saved and all would come to the gospel, to the truth. Then he goes on to say, he who does not believe will be condemned. So that's the flip side of that coin. That it's not just a matter of being saved. It's a matter of not being condemned. In John 20, 21 and 22, Jesus again said, my peace I give to you. Then he says to his disciples, as the father sent me, so I send you. And that is, that is what's going to come back for all of us is that God sends all of us. He, he doesn't just send us into individuals. It's not just like you've committed your life to Christ and go out and do the work. He's put together the church and we'll talk more about that in a moment. But still, we are sent out ones. We are sent out by him. And he says, as the Father sent sending you, I send you out. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So he's not going to leave you He's going to empower you to be able to do the work that God's called you to do. Because as I start talking about this and sending you out and preaching the gospel, some of you now are feeling like, "Eh, that's not me. I'm not good at that. You, Pastor Robert, might be good at that, but I'm, I'm not good at that. But God's going to equip you. He gives you the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's a larger picture than that. He actually draws people to himself. When Jesus went to the disciples, he walked up to them on the shoreline, they're mending their nets, and he says, follow me. And they get up and follow him. And the Bible tells us that no one comes to the son, John chapter seven, six, I guess, 644, unless the father draws them. That means just like Jesus walked up to the disciples and said, follow me. That was, Jesus was the one who initiated. Salvation's always initiated by God. And so if we're gonna preach the gospel, it's not like we're coming out of the blue. It's not like we're walking up to someone that hasn't been spoken to by God or God hasn't been doing a work because God's coordinating all things. He's the head of the church and we are the body of the church. And so he's coordinating things. And so when we begin to share, we take that step to open up let people know you're Christian. Give them an invitation to church. Talk to them about their faith or, or believing in God or, or whether or not they're going to go to heaven. There's a lot of ways in which you can open up conversations with people that are just really good conversations. Are you, have you ever gone to church? Are, are you going to go to heaven? Do you believe in God? And as you begin to do that, knowing that the Holy Spirit's with you and God is out there before you. And so sometimes we're really terrified of, of that. In Acts 1-8, we get another picture of the Holy Spirit being given Jesus says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You've been given the Holy Spirit and there's power that is given to you. Then he says, this is the power. To be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. The power of the Holy Spirit is for you to be able to be witnesses for him. Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come unto me and drink. And out of you is going to, to gush torrents of living water. So just out of you is going to come this living water. And everywhere that you go, God's moving. And I think that God is moving in greater ways than we understand. So if we're going to really get a key as to what our marching orders are, we understand that God's not just using our talents, our, our skills. You guys, you guys have natural talents, Some of you guys have natural talents musically. Some of you guys have natural talents athletically. Some of you guys have natural talents socially. You just just get into that social realm really well. Some of you guys have natural talents being able to talk to people naturally. Some of you guys are skilled because you've done something for so many years. You've become really good at what you do. I like to find out what people do for a living. Gives me an idea of what they're good at because if you do something for a living, you've gotten good at it. If you, if you haven't gotten good at it after four or five years of doing something every day, you're doing the wrong thing. You should be doing something you can get good at. And, um, but God has also given you spiritual gifts. And God will use all of those. He'll use your talents, He'll use your skill, and He'll use the spiritual gifts that He's given you for the sake of the gospel. So now we come to Matthew 28, 16 through 20, and this is the marching orders given to the disciples. It's the marching orders given to the church. As I said, it's for individuals, but it's also for the larger collective aspect of the church. And so he said, it says in verse 16, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. We know that while they were there, they met with Jesus on the water. But now all 11 of them are together. Remember, it was only seven when they met when Peter was restored. And it says um, they all, all 11 went to Galilee to the mountain, which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And I find that really interesting. It's kind of a side note from our topic today, but I find it really interesting that they still doubted because a resurrection is supernatural and hard to believe and there are always going to be some doubts and we take our doubts to God. And then Jesus says to them in verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. The first thing he wants them to know, the first thing that he wants us to know is that he has all authority. That when we go out in his name, we are not going out on our own. We are not going out without any authority. We are going out in his authority so that we wrestle against spiritual things and, and winning people for Christ, is a sp- that's spiritual warfare. That's what it's really about. The enemy is attacking you because he wants to take you out of the picture when it comes to people being won for Christ. And so it's spiritual warfare. And he just wants you to know, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. When we go out in his name, every time that I stand up in this pulpit and begin to give instruction, it is by the authority of Jesus Christ. And if we are doing it under his authority, then it will be highly effective. Remember Jesus said that when he talked about building the church, he said, on this rock, I will build my church. And so Jesus has built the church. We're talking of just not about little churches that are everywhere, but we're talking about the church in general. And he said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We are promised success when it comes to people becoming disciples. We are How we let people into the kingdom. We are promised success from that. And along those lines, let's talk a little bit before we get into the details here of the church and, and our part in the church. So Jesus established the church and sent us out. It's not an organization. From time to time, I'll say the church is the only organization that God really ever established. Calvary Chapel, God moved, I think, for the start of Calvary Chapel, but Calvary Chapel is part of the church. And the church is individuals. It's made up of people. So that whatever the church is doing, individuals do. And we do it together because you have strengths and I have strengths And alone is one thing. I can only do so much alone. But once we get the strengths of other people, then all of a sudden you're able to do things that are far more effective. And we've discovered that with the staff over the years that we want a diversity. We want people that have different giftings. We want all of that there because then we can do more and we can do more efficiently. We can do more effectively. It's like when there's a marriage and one person might be weak in one area, but strong in another area. And when it's really working together the way that God wants it to work, then you're, you're able to stand together stronger as a couple than you are alone. Well, that's even a bigger picture within the church. We're the body of Christ and each one of us has a role. Each one of us has been given gifts to minister to one another. First Peter chapter four, each one of us has been given a position within the body. Not everybody's a hand. Right? Right. First Corinthians 12. Because if everybody was a hand, then where would the hearing be? And if everybody was an ear, where would the seeing be? And so just as a body has different parts, we are the body of Christ. And so we have different parts. And so this great commission comes out to us that we can do our part. You might say, well, I might not be able to go out and do what someone else can do, but I can do what God's called me to do. And so then Jesus says in verse 19, and this is the beginning of the Great Commission go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That, this is our marching orders. And for these 11 guys that were on top of that mountain in the Galilee, when you think of a the mountain, there's not huge mountains in the Galilee, by the way. There's smaller hills that are around the Galilee. But there's a couple places you can get up really high and you can overlook the entire Sea of Galilee, and it's beautiful. There's one place that we go when we go to Israel, we take everybody up on the top of, and I like to talk about the Great Commission from there. Because Jesus says to them, go. These 11 were going to have to go. They couldn't stay in the Galilee. They had to go wherever they were going to go. And so people have misused this little word, go, for their own purposes. Usually fundraising. When people want to fundraise, especially in missions, they'll say things like, God calls some to go, and he calls some to send and you might not be able to go, but you can go with them by your money going with them. And that really is the twisting of this text. And I don't know now, OK, we've gone all around the world. The gospel's being preached all around the world. There may be some areas where the gospel has not gone that we want to be attentive to. But now if we go, if every Christian hears this, if we all heard this today, go, we would all just change places. It'd be like a giant chair change. We'd be like, okay, I'm gonna go over there. I'm gonna go over here, go over there. We are called to go to the people that we are going to influence. I think first of all, to our family, friends, coworkers and acquaintances. First of all, to the people in our lives that we ought to be praying about knowing Christ, that we ought to know that God's drawing them, that the Holy Spirit's working within us and that we say, Lord, open doors. Open doors and I'll share my faith. Open doors that I can see people come to Christ. Secondly, that maybe God will give you a call to go somewhere else. There's some of you in here that I have no doubt that God is speaking to you about somewhere else to go. Maybe somewhere on the mission field. Maybe, maybe somewhere by uh, some other city. When I was 25 years old and Skip Heitzig said to me, What do you think about going to Tucson to see if God wants to start a church there? I just remember that being just something that clicked in me. I'd never been here. I didn't know anything about the city but just something clicked inside of me. He had encouraged me to go to Santa Fe and I knew I didn't want to go there. I shouldn't say I knew I didn't want to go there. I knew God didn't have that for me. But when Tucson was brought up, there was just something. So I left Albuquerque and I went to Tucson. It's not very far, really in the, the larger scheme of things. It's both, they're both in the Southwest. They're really similar kind of cities. But I leave one and I go to the other because that's God's call. And whatever your call is, you have to go. This has nothing to do with sending. I think there is a point to send. There's a point to support. There's a point to take our finances and give our finances to God. But that's not what this is about. The application of this is that you, as an individual, in a larger church, are called to go. And so you represent Jesus Christ. You're not alone. We have the church. When I, I give altar calls now at the end of every message, people, are, they respond, and sometimes people say, it must be wonderful to be used by God in such a way that people are coming into the kingdom. And it is, to be that part of that harvest is awesome. But I realize that for every hand that is raised, there's someone that's planted seeds in that person's life. Amen. And for every, every hand that is raised, there's other people who have watered in that person's life. So that we would not have the harvest if it wasn't for the church doing what we do. And so I just want you to know the significance of, of the call of God on your life to go. Go and think of the people that are are around you. If God calls you to go somewhere, then be obedient and go. But go now into your world, knowing that you represent Jesus Christ who has all authority in heaven and earth and you're guaranteed success. Now, he also says that we are to make disciples. We're not just to go and make Christians. We're not just to go and, and see people rescued. We're not just to go get people saved. So that their lives can be better, right? Which I've already addressed. But we're going to make disciples. Jesus said a few times that being a disciple wasn't easy. He said, if you want to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself. But that's what disciples do. Disciples go, I'm not living my life for myself. I'm living my life for Christ. It's part of what discipleship is. Disciples literally means a learner. I want to learn about Christ. I want to learn what he wants from me. But he says, you want to be my disciple? You want to learn from me? Then you pick up your cross. You deny yourself. And you follow me. Which means, number one, you pick up your cross, which means that you're no longer living for yourself. Jesus said, if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you save it. So when we come to Christ, we say to him, here is my life, my goals, my plans, my desires. And I now want what you want for me.
0: Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you. And His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus south of Palo Verde and I-10 meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org